Back during the summer of 2011, a few friends and I decided to organize a little camping trip to a forest just a few miles outside our hometown. Delamere Forest, despite being pretty small, presented us with a much-needed opportunity to connect with nature. City living can be good, but it can be stifling, so any chance to get out into the countryside was well-received. But as time went by, and the date of the camping trip approached, things began to unravel. One by one, various friends called and texted to inform us that they wouldn't be attending, be it family illness, lack of cash, or just laziness. In the end, there was only two of us that actually decided to go. So, early on sunny summer morning, we boarded a train for the journey down to the forest. The weather was perfect. A cloudless sky with a light breeze that made the hike through the woods not nearly as oppressive as we were expecting. It didn't take long for us to find a decent spot in the shade that happened to be right next to a stream that we could use for washing and drinking water. The only trouble was the spot was very open, visible to passerby, and not the least bit subtle. So it's late afternoon, we are tired from our hike, and we decide to build a fire to cook some dinner on. But here's the thing, building a small fire is an essential part of camping, sure, but it attracts people. The smell of burning wood and the cooking food, the smoke, sometimes you might as well be announcing yourself to the whole forest with a megaphone. But we know this, so we're not exactly surprised when a group of locals stumbles across our little camp and comes down to say hello. They seem friendly enough at first, and this might sound paranoid, but the whole time, I just had this bad feeling about them. It fascinates me how human instinct can pick up things like that. Little clues in body language or speech that lead to us to believe that someone isn't being entirely genuine. I wasn't sure if it was the way the locals were looking at each other, or the strange, probing questions they asked, but I knew they didn't have the best of intentions. When they moved on and were out of earshot, my friend suggested that we move the camp. Now he's normally the skittish one, who I'm perennially telling to calm down or chill out, but on this occasion, I knew he was right. Maybe we were being a little bit paranoid, but in instances such as that, it's always better to be safe than sorry. So as tired and half drunk as we were, we packed up our stuff, doused the fire, and then started looking for another place to set up camp. Luckily, we found somewhere pretty quick, a heavily wooded hill that basically overlooked our old campsite on one side. Not that we had a direct view of it, but if you walked a minute or so away from camp, we had a pretty good view of the surrounding area. At least, we did during the daytime. As the sun set, we started another fire, cooked ourselves up some ramen noodles in our mess tins, then, then proceeded to drink and smoke ourselves stupid. We talked about stuff around the fire until we were too tired to drink and continue, then retired to our poncho shelters for the night. I'm pretty sure I passed out as soon as I got into my sleeping bag, as I don't remember drifting off or anything. I just know the next thing I can recall is opening my eyes in pitch darkness to the sound of a distant car revving its engine. At first I was just annoyed to be woken up. The hangover was kicking in hard, and I felt like boiled crap as I tried to fall back asleep. But the distant vehicle kept revving its engine, and as the sound grew louder and louder, I knew it was getting closer. Something told me to go check it out, 
by the time I started to hear voices. It might have just been a bunch of kids taking a stolen car for a spin, but like I said, sometimes it's better to be safe than sorry. But when I go to the edge of the hill, I can already see torch beams all over our old campsite. The revving engine was from a vehicle that had been driven all the way down the forest path to our previous camp. Someone was down there, looking for us. I think I acted more out of instinct than anything else, moving as quickly and quietly as I could back to my sleeping friend to wake him. I must have explained what I had seen like two or three times. He was just as exhausted and half drunk as I was, but when it sank in, he was up on his feet with me and helping to kick dirt on our dying fire. We then grabbed a pair of binoculars we were carrying with us and then ran back to the edge of the hill to watch the scene below. In utter horror, we could see what was in the men's hands, thanks to the torches they shone on one another. Baseball bats, hammers, and a length of rope were just a few of the things they carried. They spat and cursed, furious that they had come back too late to catch us. All we had were our Swiss army knives to defend ourselves with. If the guys down there had decided to actually search the area, they'd have found us pretty easily and I'm not sure I'd be here telling this story today. But to our infinite fortune, they didn't. Maybe they had been drinking themselves, or were just too lazy to actually look for us, but we are so thankful they didn't. With one person keeping watch, the other went back to camp to pack their gear as fast as they could. The guys down below were hanging around our old camp, kicking at the fire we had so carefully constructed taking all their spite out on things we had left behind. As I've mentioned, they didn't seem keen on actually looking for us, but they didn't seem like they were in a hurry to leave, either. This meant that we were essentially stuck on this wooded hill, as an escape attempt with our heavy packs meant that if we were discovered, there would be no outrunning any of them, especially since they had a vehicle. We ended up staying there until morning, Neither of us could get any sleep despite the gang leaving with their vehicle. I remember being terrified they would return one more time. More torches. More people. With more of a will to find us. But they didn't. They were probably sleeping off their own hangovers by the time that we were on the train home. We were due to stay another two nights, and I was still annoyed that we had to call the trip short. But with those scummy local people around... We just didn't want to risk it. Be careful when you're traveling around, whether it is internationally or locally, because despite the unfathomable kindness of strangers, some of them aren't so friendly. This took place a few years ago in a little English town. Me and my friends had been out in the town, and I think we may have been out to see a movie or something. We were walking back to my friend's house, a walk I had walked many times before, when we got to this church. We were being rowdy and having a good time, when all of a sudden, we heard a gut-wrenching scream. At first, we thought it was coming from across the road, where an abandoned building was. The screams continued, and after a few seconds, we realized that they were coming from behind us, in the church. We thought that it could possibly be a few kids messing around, but either way, our curiosity got the better of us. 
We walked into the yard to try and pin down the location of the screams. It's safe to say at this point we were freaked out. The screams honestly sounded like someone being murdered. I got out my phone at this point and called the police. All the while, the screams were continuing, getting louder the closer we approached the church. The police were asking for our location, what we were hearing, trying to keep us calm. My friends were losing it. It was then that the lights of the church illuminated the graveyard. We ducked to avoid the lights, hiding behind headstones. Then, just as suddenly as they came on, they went off again. Then on. Then off. Then on. And off once more. At that point, we hightailed it out of there. We weren't sticking around to find out what was going on. The police called me back a few minutes later when we were further down the road. They said that they arrived at the church and looked around. However, they couldn't see or hear anything. I asked whether the lights were on or any doors were unlocked, but they said the entire property was fully sealed and no lights were on. To this day, I have no idea what took place that night. In all honesty, I had forgotten about it until my friend had reminded me. We all kind of wrote it off as a weird experience, but there was something about those screams that still, even to this very day, makes me feel uneasy. I have never really had anything actually scary happen to me. Awkward moments, sure. People being outright mean, that too. But never anything legit scary. But all that changed just a few weeks before lockdown, when I was asked to babysit a neighbor's kid while they went to a party relating to one of their jobs. I had never ever babysat for anyone before, so admittedly, I was pretty nervous. But if I had known what kind of night I had in store for me, I'd have turned the job down in a second. It was made all the worse by the fact that my parents pretty much assured me that it would be an easy 50 bucks and that the night would be over before I knew it. I had a bad feeling about the whole thing from the start, but my dad actually managed to talk me out of that headspace. Now I wish I had just trusted my gut and stayed well away. So I wander over to the house around 7 in the evening, introducing myself to the parents and the kid before they go over a few ground rules. At first, it seemed like my dad was right, that I was just being silly, and that if I played my cards right, I could turn this into a regular thing to fund my weekend shopping habits. The parents were lovely, and so was the kid, so I got pretty chill pretty quickly, and ended up sort of enjoying myself, entertaining the kid after they left with the help of Disney+, Plus, which I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a huge fan of. Everything is going well until it comes time to put the kid to bed. Then, things started getting a little awkward. The kid straight up refuses, and our new, happy little friendship starts to quickly deteriorate. I felt super mean having to lay down the law with the kid, and he went from crying and wailing to shouting and screaming at me like I wasn't his mom, he hated me, and I didn't belong there. Stuff like that. It actually kind of hurt, and I started to realize that maybe I wasn't ready for that kind of responsibility yet. To be a parent or a guardian, you need to be tough enough to be able to kind of like, be the bad guy, if that makes any sense. 
And if there are any of you out there that are looking to get into babysitting, thinking it'll be easy money, please reconsider. I have done way, way easier things for money before and since. Things that don't make you feel crappy for having to shout at a kid. But after a while, the whole temper tantrum seems to have tired the kid out. And even though he still seemed upset with me, he went up to his room, got into his pajamas, and climbed into his bed to sleep. He asked me to read him a story, and since he had actually done as he was told, I obliged. And when his eyes finally closed over and his breathing slowed, I snuck out of the room and downstairs to leave him to get some rest. So about an hour or so later, I was sitting on the couch texting a friend of mine, telling them how babysitting was way harder than I thought it was going to be. I'm working through the leftover chicken pot pie that my mom had given me to take over there, catching up on some episodes of The Mandalorian, when the family house phone starts to ring. Thinking it was the parents looking to check up on me, I pick up, greeting the caller in the cheeriest voice I could manage. Only, no one on the other end responds. I say, hello, a few more times, assume it's a butt dial or a bad line, and I hang up, heading back to finish off my meal. No sooner am I sat down again, the phone rings again. I was kind of expecting it, I suppose. Maybe the parents had gone through a tunnel or something, I don't know. But either way, I get up again, head over to the phone, and pick up. Only this time, when I do, I can hear breathing on the other end of the phone. I give another cheery hello, but there's just the same breathing coming from the other end. When the person finally speaks, it's this super deep voice, obviously a guy, telling me to check on the sleeping kid. I thought it might have been the kid's dad playing a prank, but there was also something really weird and distorted about the voice. I respond like, okay, I'll go check, and the line goes dead immediately. The kid is fine, sleeping like a rock, so as much as I'm kind of creeped out by the weird voice, I figure it must have been the dad. Maybe the parents had argued. I don't know. I tried not to think so much about it. But then pretty much as soon as I'm back downstairs, the phone rings again. No caller ID. No nothing. So I answer, un unable to prevent this fear from entering my voice. Big mistake. Whoever is calling senses this and starts to like, giggle down the phone line in that same weirdly distorted voice. What they said next made my blood turn to ice. Gonna snatch him up. Gonna snatch up the kitty when you're not looking. Gonna get him. I went silent, just totally silent out of fear, and that's when I heard a creak in the floorboards above me. Someone was moving around in the rooms upstairs. I pretty much dropped the phone and bolt upstairs and into the kid's room to find that he's still asleep. Or rather, that he very much appears to be asleep. But that same deep, slow breathing isn't there. The more I look, the more like he seems like he's almost holding his breath. Not only that, but his arm is at this weird angle that makes it look like he's holding onto something under his pillow. Something he's trying to hide. In a fury, I pull the pillow up slightly and then realize what's been happening. Whoever thought it was a good idea to buy an eight-year-old kid a phone is straight up crazy. 
but under that pillow wasn't just a phone. There was some kind of voice changer under there, too. I grab both and run out of the room, back downstairs, where the kid starts throwing another temper tantrum. I felt so dumb, completely played by the kid, made to feel terrified and vulnerable. How the heck could someone be so young, yet so malicious and mean-spirited? The parents arrived back shortly afterward, and I didn't mention a word of what happened until they had paid me in full. Then I read them the riot act. I was never going to babysit for them, and they were completely irresponsible, letting their kid have things like a phone, let alone an actual voice changer. Turns out the creepy little gadget was their older, college-aged kids, and that the little guy was fascinated with it and wouldn't give it back to him. But I didn't care. I wasn't about to put myself out there like that, ever again. Let me start out by saying that when I sleep, I have lucid dreams. When I say this, I mean I make active decisions in my dreams, and I remember my dreams vividly when I wake up, but I don't always realize that I'm dreaming when I'm dreaming. This is the case when the dreams are especially realistic. Because of this, my nightmares become that much more terrifying. One nightmare that I experienced years ago was so surreal that I still cringe when I think about it. It's hard to remember because it was years ago, but it was one of my worst nightmares. It started out in my house. I remember feeling uncomfortable, like if you were about to get on an airplane for the first time and you were afraid of heights. Then, I heard screams from the other rooms in my house. My mom's room and my sister's room. I exited my room to see what was happening. My house was a two-story, three-bedroom, two-bathroom house. All the bedrooms were on the top floor, where mine was the closest to the stairs. Almost the same time I exited my room, I saw a man, whom I did not recognize, exiting my mom's room. He looked at me, and I saw that his face had no emotion. Before I could notice anything else about him, my surroundings changed. I was in a dimly lit street. He was barely visible between the streetlights, and when he came to the light, I finally noticed that he had a scalpel and his face was freckled by spots of blood. Fear swept over my body. I spent the next three hours running from him, hiding from him, and banging on vacant homes for help. He always knew where I was. He always caught up to me. I was slower in my dream for whatever reason. I could not escape him. As a quick example, I would hide in a bush or behind a wall. He would walk directly towards where I was hiding, staring directly at me without fail. I would manage an escape before he got too close. Again, he did not have a line of sight, and he would still manage to find me. I could keep running, but that's all I could do. I could not hide from this man. The most chilling part is that after many failed attempts at escaping, without my dream changing or ending, I gave up on running. As he caught me, he, he half smiled an emotionless smile, grabbed his scalpel, and I can still remember the cold blade running across my neck. I felt calm and peaceful in comparison to the terror I had experienced for what felt like hours. I felt my neck and saw my own blood covering my hands. 
I remember closing my eyes, and in the next moment I was awake, in a state of panic with a cold sweat. I realized that I had a lucid dream, where I was killed. I couldn't sleep for the rest of the night after that. Let me give a little information about me. I am an 18-year-old male. I was 17 at the time of this incident. I have had some weird incidents happen to me throughout my life, but nothing has topped this, and I hope nothing ever does. My parents were having a get-together at our house, which seemed to me like it was dying down. I was getting bored, and I got a text from one of my close friends, Luke, who wanted me to come over. I replied back and said sure. He said that my other friends, Colton, Ryan, and Matthew, are also there, and they were waiting for me. I said I'll be there in ten minutes. When I got there, I walked in, and I couldn't find anybody. I looked all over the house and found everyone except for Luke. I asked over and over again where he was, and they only told me to go find him. I assumed they were messing with me, so I played along and went to look. Let me give you a layout of his house. He has a relatively long driveway that has a few curves, with a barn on one side and his driveway on the opposite. The house is mainly surrounded by woods and fields. I searched around the house for a while, and they ended up telling me that he was in the barn, so I went outside to the barn. When I walked in, I couldn't hear anything, so I called him. He didn't pick up, so I decided to give up, just as I got a phone call. It was Luke. I picked up and said, Dude, where are you? He replied, I'm running through the backwoods. You have to come find me. I hung up, dreading having to walk through the woods. Why would he come back here, I thought. It's dark, it's cold. It's practically a swamp. I got another phone call. It was Luke. I asked why he would come back there. He only said to come to the tree line. Something sounded really off about his voice, but I told myself I was being paranoid. I told him I was coming, and I walked through the swampy field. That's when I got another phone call. It was my friend Ryan. He said, Dude, where are you? Did you leave? We're looking for you. I told him I was going to get Luke. What he said next made my heart drop into my stomach. He said that Luke was standing next to him, so I asked him why he called me and said that he was in the woods. Ryan told me that he was in the garage and that his phone was dead. I felt like my heart punched the inside of my stomach as he told me this. I sprinted back to the house as fast as I could. When I got back, Luke charged his phone and showed me there was no recent outgoing call. I have no idea who called me that night or why they tried to lure me into the woods. Late last year, I had my 21st birthday. Along with celebrating with my friends, my boyfriend's mom wanted to take me out as well. So his mom went ahead and reserved a table at a bar in downtown for Saturday night. Saturday night comes and there's major traffic. His mom and I park in a toll parking lot and we have to walk about five blocks to the bar where we are going to meet my boyfriend and everyone else. So we start walking 
and arrive at a crosswalk we have to wait at. There's maybe eight other people standing at this crosswalk with us. I'm just patiently standing there, minding my own business, when suddenly, I notice this girl standing next to me. She startled me, to be honest. One, because of how she seemed to appear out of thin air, and two, because of how close she was standing next to me. It almost felt as if she was trying to huddle into me, like you know when a little kid is shy and will try to hide behind his or her parent. Yeah, that's how she was, except she was just leaning into me and she had her shoulders hunched over. Her hair was black and long, at least down to her waist. She had a long striped dress that went down to her ankles, a leather jacket and sandals. She looked to be around my age, but she had dark tan skin and black eyes. Her attire was normal, but she didn't act normal. She was being really weird and kept plugging her nose as if she was smelling something bad, and she kept skittishly looking around as if she expected something to pop out and grab her. To be honest, she was acting like a scared animal, but her demeanor was cold. Her eyes felt like they were dead and empty. Her face held no emotion. So, not liking how close she got to me, I took a few steps to the side. And guess what? She stepped towards me and got as close as she was the first time. What? I sort of thought that was weird, but gave the situation the benefit of the doubt. Plus, the crosswalk light turned green right after she came close to me, so I figured I didn't have to deal with her because we would walk our separate ways. Right? Wrong. She walked across the street in the first few blocks with me, staying the same closeness she was at. No matter where I moved to, no, no matter how many times she almost got lost in the crowd of people, she would scurry up right next to me again, all the while plugging her nose and looking around everywhere. She made me feel weird. My boyfriend's mom at this point confronted the girl saying, Hey, do you need something? Or are you okay or what? To which the girl responded, It's not safe. After she said that, she slowly lifted her head, cocked her head slightly, and looked at me dead in the eyes. Her mouth quivered. My boyfriend's mom and I just looked at each other like, What the heck is happening? At that point, I just wanted to get away from this weirdo. It was bad enough she wouldn't stop invading my space and following me, but now she's saying this weird stuff while looking at me? My boyfriend's mom pulls me to her and whispers to me in my ear, Walk faster and don't look at her. I want to see if she's following us. So that's exactly what I do. And guess what? She follows us all the way to the bar. Despite my boyfriend's mom telling her to please stop, she responded with, I want to stay with you guys. Despite taking unnecessary turns to see if she would turn to follow us, she would. I was freaking out internally all the way there. We finally get to the bar. We whip out our IDs as quickly as we can so we can get inside and get away from this girl following us. You guys, she followed us inside and sat at our table but she sits at the furthest side of the table, and she starts to scoot herself over, but she only moves over when we look away. You turn your head and boom, she's managed to hop one seat closer to you, and she's just staring the whole time with this blank expression on her face. My boyfriend's mom has had it at this point and gets up to tell the bodyguard to make the girl leave. 
The bodyguard comes, tells the girl she has to go, and she actually starts to argue with him. I didn't catch the whole conversation over the loud music, but I caught the girl asking him why she had to leave and saying that she can sit anywhere she wanted. She began to get really aggressive once he told her that this table was reserved for us and our group that she was not a part of. She got all fussy and looked at me with malice before she got up and stormed out, but she didn't leave right away. She stood outside, looking in at me through the open patio at the front of the bar. She wasn't moving and seemed to care less about the hustle and bustle of the people around her. She stood there for about 15 minutes before finally leaving. There was just this really bad and dark feeling that I got from her. She made me really nervous for some reason, and she just felt wrong. She was probably someone just cracked out on drugs, but it was super creepy, and I hope I never see her again. So this story is going to be partly from my perspective as well as my brother's perspective. This is a true story that happened last night while I was at my grandma's house. So before this all took place, I went to McDonald's in the nearest city to us, which is about 20 minutes away. After that, I decided to go down to my grandma's house instead of going straight home. For context, she lives down a long farm road, to which you also have to turn off down a half mile dirt driveway just to get to her house. I arrived there at around 9 p.m., and I went in and visited with my grandmother and my brother, who lives with her, ever since my grandma passed away, so that she wouldn't have to live down there alone. My brother and I took out my grandma's dog to pee around 10.30 p.m., and we just sat outside listening to music and talked for a while. At that point, I was starting to get cold because this is East Texas, and I am not used to it getting down into the low 40s at night so I was about ready to head inside. I noticed something moving in the corner of my eye near the large metal shop that sits a few hundred yards from the house. I didn't really take too much notice though, because it is not uncommon for deer or raccoons to come snooping around in the yard, and plus, my grandma's dog wasn't barking, so I thought that it might have just been my eyes playing tricks on me. We finally headed back inside, and my grandma went to sleep at around 11 p.m., so me and my brother stayed up and played among us and watched YouTube for a while. At around 2.30 a.m., I was very tired and ready to go home, so I asked my brother to walk with me to the door and make sure that I get to my car because I am always very paranoid, especially at night. He joked around and said that he would turn the light off on me and lock the door, and I freaked out and begged him to walk me to the car, to which he finally humored me. I got in my car and immediately locked the doors as I was driving off back down the dirt road. I got home within 10 minutes and fixed myself some ice cream before I sat down and enjoyed some creepy scary stories on YouTube. Another 15 or so minutes passed and I got a FaceTime call from my brother to which I picked up almost immediately. I could tell that he was freaked out about something, but he wasn't saying anything right away, so I asked him what was wrong. The following is my best attempt to paraphrase what my brother told me. He said that after I left, he went back outside to listen to some music and sit on the porch. He had the music on his phone up pretty loud, which would usually mask any noises of animals coming from the nearby woods. 
After a few minutes of listening to music, he said that he heard what he thought to be sounds of metal banging around, so he quickly paused the music and listened to see if he could hear the sound again. He stood up and looked towards the shop and the boat shed, which are adjacent to each other and are a few hundred yards away from where he was standing. He saw a faint light shining around near the boat shed, but then it quickly flicked off. At this point, he was freaking, he was fr so, he, so he quietly crept back inside the house and locked the door behind him. He said that he ran to his room in the back of the house, I guess not thinking to wake up our grandma. He grabbed a weapon and quickly ran back outside. He saw the glow of a flashlight move around. He walked out to the edge of the concrete carport and stared out towards the boat shed. The only thing illuminating the boat shed was the faint light coming from the house. He said that he tried to muster up the most intimidating voice he could manage, and said, Who is out there? To which there was no immediate reply, except for a slight bumping sound, which solidified the fact that someone was indeed there. Now keep in mind this is out in the middle of the country, in a town with a population of just over 1,000 people, and the nearest house is across the lake, or miles down the farm road so no well-meaning person would just happen to stumble across my grandma's house this late at night. Also, my grandma has had problems with people snooping around the property in the past, so this is not something any of us take lightly. And for the life of me, I can't tell you why my brother didn't call the police. But you also have to remember that there is literally one cop in our entire town, and it is 3 a.m., so it would take at least 30 minutes for the cop to even show up. So my brother again called for the person to show themselves. He said that he saw a tall, lanky figure slowly emerge from the boat shed with a flashlight in hand. Although my brother couldn't see any distinct features about the person, he could definitely tell that it was an older man and that it was no one that we knew. It was especially not anyone that should be in our boat shed at 3 a.m. At this point, he shouted, Who, who are you? The man was still silent and began slowly walking towards him. My brother waved the weapon back and forth and gave one last verbal warning to the man and said, Tell me who you are now. Why are you here? The man quickly raised his hands up and said, Whoa, 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 calm down, man, as he continued walking towards my brother. My brother waved the weapon again. The man suddenly took off down the driveway and my brother screamed, I wouldn't come back if I were you. My brother then quickly ran inside to wake up my grandma, who had somehow slept through the entire commotion. She didn't seem worried enough to actually call the police, but of course, after hearing this, all I could think was what were the true intentions of that man? Was he just some druggie snooping around, looking to steal some tools for drug money? Or were his intentions much more sinister? Another question that haunts me about this whole situation is how many times has this happened after my grandma and brother went to bed and we just didn't know? And was he watching us from the shadows all night? Was he watching me as I walked out to my car? What would have happened if my brother had actually turned out the lights and locked the door before I could get to my car? This messed me up for a while, and I'm still not completely okay, but it's easier to cope.
It was the middle of summer, and my parents had left for the weekend to go to our house in Cape Cod. It's about a two-hour drive away, so it's no big deal for them to leave me alone for a few days. My mom had made some pulled pork and pasta for me to heat up to eat whenever, and I had some money if I wanted to order a pizza. Things were all good. The first night I was alone, I stayed up until 3 in the morning, playing Xbox, so I woke up really late the next day. I checked my phone when I woke up, and saw it was a little past 1. I had made some plans to play some street hockey with my friends at 3, so I threw myself out of bed, and stumbled into the shower. I take really long showers. I was in there for about 45 minutes on my phone, scrolling through Reddit and Twitter and whatnot, when I heard my front door open. The bathroom is directly up the stairs from the front door, and the door is pretty loud when it opens and closes. I immediately froze, since obviously, I was supposed to be alone. I waited for about two minutes, ears trained in trying to hear anything else. Nothing. I figured it was just the wind, or maybe my parents were home early, so I turned off the shower, wrapped my towel around myself, and slowly walked down the stairs. I can't see into the kitchen when I walk down the stairs. My house was really old, so each step on the stairs made a super loud creak noise. I still took my time and tried to be as quiet as possible. I probably took about 45 seconds to walk down the stairs, so when I get to the second to the last stair, right before I could see around the corner into the kitchen, I take a little breath to compose myself. In my mind, I knew I was being stupid. There obviously wasn't anything in the kitchen. There's no way I wouldn't have heard another noise. And there's no reason for them to still be in the kitchen, even if there were burglars or something in the house. After sort of mentally chastising myself for being such a wuss, I sort of chuckled to myself for being so stupid and just normally walked the last two stairs and turned the corner into the kitchen. Standing about two feet away from me in the middle of my kitchen is a man staring straight at me, perfectly still, with a massive smile across his face, just staring at me. The thing I remember most vividly wasn't his face or his smile, but his arms. They weren't just at his side. He held them in the strangest, most abnormal position I've ever seen. They were where one would normally hold their arms, but he had rotated them to the point where they were almost completely reversed, as well as lifting them up and a little behind himself. I don't know why I remember this so much, but it's just the weirdest position that I've ever seen somebody hold their arms. Honestly, I thought I almost had a heart attack right there. Looking back, I can realize how creepy the situation was, but in the moment, I just took a step towards him and punched him as hard as I could in the jaw. The second I connected, I beelined up the stairs, dropping my towel in the kitchen with my heart beating out of control. I sprinted into my room and locked the door behind me. I quickly put a chair up against the doorknob. Almost without thinking, I called 911, and nearly in tears, told the operator what happened. As I sat on the floor of my room, in practically the fetal position, staring at the door, praying that a cop would be here soon, I noticed the light coming from the gap between my door had stopped. The man was standing on the other side of the door. There's no words to describe the feeling I had. I was paralyzed with fear, watching the shadow across the bottom of the door shift in tiny ways. I stayed balled up, staring at the gap, praying the man would go away for what seemed like an hour. 
All the while, the 911 operator was asking, Hello? Sir? Sir, are you there? Hello? I didn't want to make a noise, and even if I wanted to move my arms to bring the phone to my mouth, I don't think I could have. Eventually, the light returned to the gap, and I heard the faintest of footsteps, slowly creaking the wooden floorboards as he walked down the hall. It was silent for minutes, as I just sat there curled up, unable to even speak. I heard banging on the front door, and the sound of two officers entering my house. I finally felt safe, and I opened the door to the two of them standing there. I almost cried. Nowadays, my parents don't even leave me home alone, which I honestly don't mind, and I check every lock in the house before going to bed. I still get nightmares occasionally, and my heart starts racing whenever I see someone standing still, but I'm doing all right. Even working with sketch artists in a few lineups, the police never found who was in my house. It sends shivers down my spine every time I look outside, half expecting to see him standing across the street, smiling under a lamppost. I have no idea what he wanted or who he was, but regardless, I hope I never see him again, and I'm still afraid that someday he might come back. This incident happened to me when I was 20 years old. I've always been an outwardly alternative person, but I am known to be notoriously friendly and loud. I am not the kind of girl you would think people would want to try anything with. This is not to say I'm ugly. I've always thought of myself as average. Black hair, coffee eyes, pale skin. The catch here is that I was very heavily into thrash metal at the time. So even though I am on the shorter side, I would wear flipped bill trucker hats, ripped jean jackets with patches and studs, and if you saw me at the shows, I was in the mosh pit, throwing punches. I wasn't dating at the time, but I was talking consistently to a guy that I liked. At the time, I enjoyed taking nightly evening walks around my neighborhood, a semi-nice middle-income area that my parents had managed to move us to after lots of overtime and a lawsuit at my father's work that ended up paying out. I had made friends in the neighborhood, and it wasn't uncommon for me to show up unannounced at a friend's house and play some Mario Kart, or maybe smoke. After an uneventful visit to my friend's house, seeing as they weren't home, I decided to walk the long stretch of golf course. I just didn't want to be home yet. So I'm walking, listening to Slayer on my earphones, when I notice that a black Range Rover has been crawling by just a little behind where I was walking. I figure they are checking out the golf course, maybe trying to get a look at the size of it, but a car horn honks behind the Range Rover, and they are forced to drive forward. Oblivious, I continue my walk until I notice the Range Rover has made a U-turn to crawl behind me again. He circles maybe two more times. I take one earphone out and look at the car. The driver kind of freaks out at being noticed, and drives forward again. So you know the feeling you get when you know something isn't right? Well, it finally hit me, and I start speed walking to the liquor store. I duck into the store, shooting the owner a quick head nod of acknowledgement, because we knew each other fairly well at this point. That's when I hear a car door outside being closed, and I see a guy walking towards the liquor store. 
It's the guy in the Range Rover. I tell the owner that I need to use the bathroom, an employee-only sort of deal, and he begrudgingly obliges me. I get to the bathroom, which provides a good view of the store, and just listen with the door cracked and the lights off, so I can see out. The guy walks in. I have never seen him before. He was about my age. Tall, dark hair, blue eyes. He then proceeds to tell the owner of the store that he's looking for his little sister, that she's run away from home, and his parents are worried sick, that she'll probably fight back if he approaches her and doesn't want to alert her to his presence. He then describes me in detail from my custom jean jacket to my beat-up Nikes to my mirrored aviators and identifiable facial features. I get a sick feeling in my stomach. Who is this guy? I have never seen him in my life. He leaves the store when the owner says no, and the guy walks back to his car, scanning the entire parking lot, and I hear the car start up and pull out. I emerge from my hiding place and look at the owner, who stares back at me to confirm that we were both kind of weirded out. Looking at him, I quietly say, That guy is not my brother. I'm not sure what he wanted from me and why he made up an elaborate story, but I have come to the conclusion it can't have been anything good. So this event took place over 10 years ago, back when I was 13. Now before I get into it, I should let you know that I have a very overprotective mother, like textbook overprotectiveness. Something she often did was come into my room at different times throughout the night to check on me. It's something I actually really disliked because I'm a light sleeper and I also scare extremely easily. So most of the time when she came to check up on me, she'd either wake me up or scare the crap out of me. Now one night I was turning in for bed. All I know is that it was a weeknight because I had school the next day. The TV was on, and I always left it on because it helped me sleep. I had pulled my covers over my head, as I like to sleep in a cocoon-like fashion. I had just closed my eyes when I could hear footsteps from outside my door. I sighed and get out of my blanket cocoon, knowing that at any moment my mother was going to enter the room to check up on me. I sat up in my bed waiting, so at least this way she wouldn't scare me. I wait for about a minute or so, and my mother doesn't come in, but I can still hear her footsteps, which confused me. I continue to listen as I hear her go back and forth, just pacing. What is she doing? I thought to myself. There was no reason for her to go past my room, nor pace in front of it. The only thing past my room was my sister's bedroom, but she had long since moved out so I couldn't fathom any reason why my mother would just be going back and forth in front of my door. So I finally get out of bed and open up my door to ask my mother what in the world she was doing. But when I opened the door, I found nothing. This puzzled me even more as I look up and down the hallway, and still, no mom. There's no way I could have missed her, and I think maybe it was possible she was playing a prank on me something my family sometimes does. So I make my way across the house to my mother's room, and I pause when I see her calmly laying in her bed. It became clear that she hadn't been messing with me. 
If so, there's no way she would have been able to make it back to her room without me seeing her unless she had run back. She looked too calm and her breathing was too relaxed to imply that she had been running at any point. I walk over to her bed and she must have heard me because she rolled over to face me. She asked me what was wrong and I asked her if she had been over to my room to check up on me. She said no and I really wish she hadn't. I don't know what face I was making, but it was clear by the way my mother's expression changed that she sensed something was very wrong, but she didn't press on the matter and instead let me go back to my room. I almost ran back to my room, now scared, and immediately shut the door and dived back into my bed. I do my best to brush the whole thing off as my imagination playing tricks on me and I get back under my covers, attempting to go back to sleep. I shut my eyes tightly and lay still. It only felt like a few seconds go by before I hear the footsteps again. I sit back up throwing the covers off and turn off my TV, hoping that the old thing was just making odd noises. Well, that didn't work, and it just made the sound of the footsteps even louder. Although now I'm scared out of my mind, I make my way back over to the door and open it. Once again, finding the hallway empty and dark. I quickly step out to the hallway and turn on the light before going back into my room. In my mind, the light will keep away whatever was there, but that wasn't the case. I get back in my bed and sit, just watching the door. And that's when it happens. My heart stops when I see a shadow slowly pass by under the crack of my door. I remember all the air leaving my lungs and just the absolute terror I felt at that moment. I had no clue as to what I could do. All I know is I just wanted to keep whoever it was out. For the rest of the night, I just sat on my bed, my knees pulled up to my chest, just watching whoever it was walk back and forth. I didn't know how nor when but I had fallen asleep at one point and awoke the next morning extremely tired. I told my mom what had happened and while she did listen and pay attention to my worries, seeing as there was nothing she could do, it was brushed off. She did tell me if this happened again and if I was too scared to sleep in my room, I could come to her room and sleep there. For the next few days, I slept with my door locked, but the mysterious footsteps never happened again. To this day, I have no clue who or what it was. A spirit? An intruder? Seeing as they didn't harm me and just scared me, I don't think it was malevolent, but I'd still really like to know what or who it was and why they were there. When my mom was 16, a year before she got pregnant with me, she was having the same dream every night for about a year. In this dream, she and a boy around her age would be surrounded by a group of men in a cemetery. My mom had no idea who the boy was, but every night, a man from the group would stand in front of them and ask, Would you die for him? My mom would answer no being that she had no idea who the guy was. The man would ask the boy, 
Would you die for her? The boy would reply no as well. One night, however, the man asked the boy first, Will you die for her? He said no as usual. The man then turned to my mom and asked her, Will you die for him? She isn't sure why, maybe out of curiosity of what would happen, or fear of getting hurt. She said yes. The man stared at her. The man then said, Your fate is sealed, and so is his. But this time, he didn't hurt them. She just woke up. My mom was a model, and on this specific day, she had a fashion show that she would be doing in another nearby city. Her aunt had come to drive and accompany her to the show, along with my mom's best friend. Everything was fine that morning. My mom got dressed, her friend came over, her aunt arrived, and they piled into the car, ready for the three to four hour drive. While on the highway, my mom noticed she had forgotten something at home. They were only about 10 minutes out at this point, with plenty of time to spare, so they turned around to go grab it. Just as they turned around, listening to music and singing along, my mom's friend asked to turn the music down. Do you hear that? She asked. My mom and her aunt were silent for a moment before hearing a strange scraping sound, like metal on concrete. They looked around for the source of the noise, but saw nothing around them. There were no other cars on the road. When they got back to the house, my mom ran inside as her friend and aunt checked the car to make sure the strange noise wasn't the car. Everything looked fine to them, and my grandfather even checked and gave them the okay. This all took maybe 20 to 30 minutes. With that, they shrugged it off and headed back towards the highway. When they finally got on, the highway was now covered with police cars, blocking off a lane where they could see a horrible accident had taken place. My mom's aunt approached the scene slowly as a cop waved her down, telling her to stop. Uh, give us a second to clear this lane of debris. What happened? Her aunt asked, clearly shocked at the scene. It was a head-on collision, he replied. When did this happen? We were just here 30 minutes ago. The officer looked shocked. Uh, it happened about 30 minutes ago. You didn't see anything? They explained that they had heard a strange noise that sounded like metal scraping against concrete before exchanging worried looks as her aunt asked, Is everyone okay? No, ma'am. You ladies are lucky. It sounds like if you had been running even three seconds late, that could have been you. With that, the officer waved them through and told them to have a nice day. But as they passed the wreckage, my mom looked out the window to see them removing a body from the car. Her heart sank when she realized it was the boy from her dream. She never had that dream again. I have heard countless stories about other people's experiences with sleep paralysis and I thought I would share my scariest ones. A lot of people have heard of the shadow people. I have had an unknown black force pin me down in bed, suffocating me. However, 
the other two instances I've had are more bizarre, and I still think about them quite often. About four years ago, I was 24. I still lived with my mom since I was in my second year of nursing school, and it was just easier to live at home while going to school. Going to bed one night, all seemed well, until I woke up for no reason. I couldn't move or talk. I heard almost static mumbling sounds on my left. Completely terrified, I listened as I tried desperately to move. Slowly this static starts to get clearer, and I hear young voices. Children's voices. They begin chanting. You're going to die. And giggling after each chant. It was like they were singing a nursery rhyme. They chanted the same thing over and over again. My heart was pounding out of my chest. Logically in my head, I was telling myself this wasn't real. For all those that aren't religious, this may not seem like it makes sense, but I decided to pray in my head to make it stop. It was like I was screaming in my head because I couldn't physically speak. It felt like an eternity before it went away and I was able to move again. I rushed out of my room to my mom and told her everything. I didn't go back into my room that night. She looked at me with disbelief. I don't know if she truly believed me or understand sleep paralysis. Regardless, it's something I will never forget. My second story was around the same year. When sleep paralysis becomes a recurring theme every night or every other night, I just started to sleep with the lights on. For added comfort, my cats would sleep on my bed and cuddle with me until I fell asleep. For a while, no instances of sleep paralysis occurred, so I just assumed this is what I needed to do each night. Like usual, I went to bed with the lights on, and one of my cats, Salem, curled up in my arm while I slept. I woke up with a feeling of all-too-familiar dread. I couldn't believe what was happening. I felt like I was being watched. To my horror, I can't make this up if I wanted to, disturbingly saw a white figure on the right side of my bed, standing very close to me. My heart felt like it dropped into my stomach. I see piercing bright blue eyes staring at me. I glanced down at my cat, seemingly unaware of the figure and sleeping soundly. This eased me up a bit. Seeing this made me remind myself that this wasn't real. After a few moments, the figure disappeared. Even with the lights on, I did not feel safe. I don't experience sleep paralysis as much as I used to, thankfully, but those are two instances I will never forget. And if you suffer from sleep paralysis, you know exactly what I went through and how horrible it truly is. This story takes place all the way back when I was still in high school. In order to earn money to fund my video game addiction, I regularly tutored this 11-year-old girl. We actually got along so well that the parents ended up asking me to babysit her and her little brother a couple times. One night in particular, the parents were meant to go downtown to watch a baseball game before a few drinks with friends, telling me they would be back earlier than midnight. 
basic babysitting job, right? Wrong. Right around 8 o'clock in the evening, it started raining pretty hard. We all lived in a gulf city at the time, and storms can blow in fast before turning into flooding really fast. Once it became horrifyingly clear we were in for one big storm, the parents tried to get home as quickly and safely as possible, but the streets had already started to flood, and apparently they ended up trapped in a parking lot. The irony was lost on me at the time, but not today. The kids' parents called and we agreed I would spend the night in their guest bedroom while they booked themselves into a motel. I had the kids go to bed while I sat up in the kitchen to do homework and watch Netflix. After a little while, I started to notice water seeping in from under the back doors. They had a large house with like three double doors to the back, so it was very large, with lots of square feet. I got every towel in the house and started wiping up the water and using the towels to block the door. After this had mostly been cleaned up, I went back to the kitchen table to watch more Netflix. Not much else I could do, right? But it couldn't have been any more than like 15 minutes later when the power cuts out and all the lights shut off. This freaked me out a bit, but I tried to stay as calm as I could. That's when the burglar alarm went off in the other room. I pretty much crapped my pants. I was in a pitch black house with two young kids surrounded by flooded roads that no one could drive on. After a minute or so of almost blind panic, I realized, to my horror, I was the closest thing in the house to an adult. There was no one looking after me. In fact, I was directly responsible for those kids. So I grabbed the biggest, sharpest kitchen knife I could find, then went to go check all the doors. They were all still closed, and no one was in the house. So I called the parents. It turns out the alarm went off when the power cut out, and I just needed to shut it off with a code upstairs. This happened about three more times over the next few hours. After the power came back on, I thought things had chilled out, but then we got a tornado warning. I went and got the kids from upstairs, and we all hung out in this study for about an hour until the warning passed. At this point, it was 2 a.m., and I passed out in the guest bedroom. The parents woke me up when they got home at around 7 a.m., and I drove home past giant fallen branches and stalled abandoned cars. It was surreal, but thankfully, everyone was safe and well in the end. Just a few days ago, I had the strangest experience I have had in the 10 plus years of driving a cab. I picked up this well-dressed and good-looking middle-aged man. However, when he opened his mouth, he said the strangest things. What started out as an entertaining discussion ended up as an all-consuming fear. I'm going to explain everything. Saturday night, I was working the graveyard shift. Most of my fares come from bars. I had just dropped off a pair of drunk women. It was around 3 a.m. when I noticed a well-dressed, tall man waving me down. The neighborhood combined with his fancy suit spoke possible big tipper to me. Once he got in and closed the door, he removed his hat, a fine-looking straw fedora. 
His clothing and movie star good looks were out of place. I feared at first that I'd picked up a time traveler. I did the usual and asked him where he was headed. I don't know, really. I'm in town on business and I was looking for someone to show me around. His answer made me chuckle. It seemed awful late for a sightseeing trip. Uh, as long as you're paying, mister, I'll drive you anywhere. And that was how it all started. For the next two hours or so, I showed him around town. The university, the Capitol building, the usual touristy stuff. At some point during our little tour, I remembered why he said he was in town. So what kind of business are you in? His reply made me laugh even more than his first. The guy was a natural comedian. I'm what some people would call a contract killer. We had been having such a good time so far, I decided to go ahead with the ruse. Okay, mister, I'll play along. Tell me how it works. How does one go about hiring a contract killer? Well, a woman contacts me. How they do so, I'll keep to myself. If their references check out, we move on to business. She gives me the names and any other info I ask for. If I decide to take the job, we move on to money. If we agree on a number, then I go to work. With all that anonymity, I asked him how he made sure that he would get paid after he offed someone. It appeared my choice of words made him laugh. It probably wouldn't be wise to tell you that part. We professionals have to keep some secrets to ourselves. Okay, fair enough. Well then, how does a client know you've completed the job? I regretted asking the question even before I finished asking it. Even though it was a stupid question, he still entertained me with an answer. Albeit, with a tinge of sarcasm in his voice. We live in a time with a 24-hour news cycle and multiple social media outlets. Don't you think if your dad died suddenly, that someone's not going to contact your mother first? If you don't discover it on your own, someone is going to tell you. Once I'm paid, my relationship with the customer ends. She's ultimately on her own after that. The last part of his answer brought up another question in my mind. Uh, if something goes wrong, per se, and she gets arrested or implicates herself, what do you do? He thought for a moment before answering. I imagine he was considering how much he should say to a stranger driving his taxi. Some contingencies have been put in place to protect myself. First off, if I have done my job right, the client shouldn't have any information about me to give to the cops. And if, on the off chance, I screw up so badly that she can, I have multiple exit strategies. I certainly won't let the police get their hands on me. None of us get to live forever. There were a few times I had to remind myself that this was a game. He made it fun, nonetheless. His imagination and forethought wowed me. We had been playing this game for hours before I had thought to ask him how he got started in his business. I joined the army fresh out of high school. It seemed my work caught the attention of my superiors. They referred me to a couple of gentlemen in the government and I worked for them for 10 years before I made the decision to go into business for myself. I gotta tell you, mister, you're really good at this stuff. You really should be a storyteller, if that's not what you're really doing for a living. I'm seriously impressed. And I wasn't blowing smoke. This was the most fun I had had driving a cab in my entire life. 
I was used to dealing with drunks and arrogant businessmen. This was a blast. Thank you, young man. I appreciate everything you have shown me tonight. I could tell by the way he was talking the night was coming to an end. It was just as well. The sun would be up soon, and I was beginning to flag myself. I took the opportunity to ask one more question. One I should have asked far earlier. He had said earlier in the night that he was in town on business. Did that mean he was here to take care of someone? A sly grin grew across his face as he thought on his answer. As a matter of fact, I was. However, I received a message at the last minute to cancel the hit. I get to keep the half she had already given me, so I didn't mind. That's business. It happens on occasion. That's a woman's prerogative after all, isn't it? To change their minds. I hope her and her old man work it out. Anyhow, that's how I ended up with you. Just as the first rays of the sun broke over the horizon, he pointed out a place to let him out. There were a few hotels at the end of the parking lot, and I assumed that was where he was headed. He reached over the seat and handed me ten $100 bills. Before I could argue, he told me to keep the change. Keep the change, kid. You earned it. I had a great time tonight. Thank you, mister. I had a great time myself, and thank you most of all for that awesome story. As he stepped from the cab, he said one last thing. Thank you for showing me around tonight, Adam. Take care of Linda, and stay out of trouble. I pulled out of the lot and headed for home. My hope was that Linda would have breakfast going. That was when it hit me, like a hammer. How did that man know my name? Not to mention my wife's. My license was nowhere he could have seen it. I reenacted the night's discussion in my head. There was never a point in which I told him. It would have ruined the game. I didn't ask him his, and there was no reason for me to tell him mine. Certainly not my wife's. How did he know I was married anyway? I hadn't worn a ring in years. I lost it down a drain and never found it. He could have guessed. The problem with that is Linda and I had just gotten back together last week. We had been separated and considering divorce for two years before that. When I pulled into the driveway of my house, a terrible idea came into my mind. Was there a possibility that guy wasn't making up a story? No one would dare tell someone, even a stranger, in such a bold and frank way, that he was a hitman. If he was serious, the fact he knew my name and my wife's could only mean one thing. Even if it was true, I wasn't ready to accept it. While Linda and I sat and ate that morning, I couldn't stop myself from watching her. I was terrified that my wife had wanted me dead. Even if she had changed her mind, there was no way she would admit it. If I did ask, either answer would most likely destroy the fragile peace we have built between us. I need to know, you listening, what do you think? Am I crazy, or is this really happening? Former funeral director here. The cemetery I run is really old. 
like by a good few hundred years. At least, it must be, since the church next to it was constructed during the 17th century. Considering the fact that it is a pretty rural place as well, most people back in the day were buried with only wooden crosses and such, no stone or marble. So as time goes on, crosses rot and wither away, new people get buried, etc. Nowadays, due to less people living out here in the sticks, the cemetery is really run down and overgrown. So as some of you can imagine, when you keep burying bodies in the same small patch of dirt for that many centuries, eventually the soil has been worked over dozens and dozens of times. So in the end, it consists mainly of bone meal. You can't even rake over the flower beds there without accidentally uncovering some teeth or finger bones or something equally grim. It's nothing but fragmented skeletons all the way down under the thin turf. The soil sort of resembles the kind of dirt you would see near sandy beaches, except on closer examination, all the light-colored parts are just bone fragments rather than crushed seashells. Not really scary or unexpected, just super eerie until you eventually get used to it. You learn to treat anything recognizable as human remains with respect and just tuck it away out of sight under the plant or whatever else you were putting there. Anyway, so someone was taking care of their relative's grave and decided to expand the area around the grave. For some reason, the people around here are not particularly fond of grass, rather preferring a well-leveled ground with zen garden lines made with a rake. The person removed the grass and was sprucing up the place with a rake when they pulled up a bunch of snow-white hair from the dirt. They must have freaked out and ran out of there, leaving the cemetery attendant to stumble across what is essentially hair coming out of the ground. She reported it to the church and supposedly they reburied the remains. Even with all my years as an undertaker, I'm not entirely sure how there could have been a body so close to the surface. But there's another incident that sticks with me even more than that one. My business partner and I had just gotten back to the funeral home from a house call for a 27-year-old woman who tragically passed away. As we were moving her body from the cot to the embalming table, we heard an audible click, and the radio across the room turned on full volume of static. It's one of those old radios where you turn the volume dial until it clicks to turn on. We both looked at each other, pale as ghosts. He happened to be an extremely religious man, and this event visibly shook him. He found an excuse to leave early, not long after the incident. I shut the radio off as I typically used my iPhone to listen to music while doing embalming work. When I had finished the procedure and was attempting to move her from the embalming table to a dressing table, I heard that click from that old radio and it turned on full volume yet again. At that point, I was fairly freaked out and left not long after. My partner and I never spoke of it again, and nothing like that ever occurred to my knowledge before or after. This story takes place two years ago, when I was living in the same house as my two younger sisters and my father. We lived in a neighborhood that wasn't necessarily unsafe, but wasn't the best neighborhood, 
for people to live in. I can recall some neighbors getting arrested for selling drugs when I was maybe five, but this story is not about them. In the summer of 2018, my sisters and I would stay up late into the night, sometimes only going to bed after the sun had risen. I was 17, and my sisters were 15 and 13. My father would go to bed early, as he was a responsible adult. To explain the situation best, I need to describe what my house looked like. It was a one-story home, with four doors on the front of my house, three of which opened to our living room, and one of which opened to my bedroom. Our backyard fence had been knocked down by a storm recently, and we had two doors on the back of the house, one that opened to the kitchen, and one that opened to my father's room. One night, around 12.30 a.m., I was doing what I usually did. I was listening to scary stories on my phone as I made art on my iPad. I didn't use earbuds because I've always been paranoid that something might happen while I'm using them. My sisters, who shared a room down the hall from me, were doing whatever they did at night. It didn't really concern me. My father was fast asleep in his room. Now, I don't know about all of you, but I always end up very on edge while I'm listening to scary stories, so I'm hyper aware of what's going on around me. You can imagine how hard I jumped when I heard a sharp pounding on our front door. Four hard thuds could be heard throughout the house, and I could hear the front door shake with the strength of each knock. I held my breath, hoping that I had heard wrong. I really didn't want to think someone was at my front door. At this moment, my middle sister, Jen, came running into my room, trying to keep her steps silent. She looked at me, eyes wild. You heard that too, right? She asked, voice trembling. I swallowed and nodded, heart pounding in my chest. We need to go wake Dad up, I responded and started towards my father's bedroom. She followed diligently behind me. On our way to our dad's room, my youngest sister, Ness, peeked her head out from her room. She, too, looked scared. I opened my dad's door and shook him awake, trembling slightly. One of my worst fears is someone breaking into our house. Dad, someone's at the front door. Even as I said this, I felt sick. Ugh, what? My dad said, groggy and not at all happy that we had woken him up. There's someone here, Jen whispered. I heard it. Someone knocked on the door, I said. My dad slowly got out of bed. He knows that my sisters and I always jump to the worst conclusions whenever anything happens, so he assumed we were doing the same here. I watched silently as he went to the front door, my stomach leaping to my throat. There's no one out there, he told my sisters and I absolutely unimpressed as he looked through the blinds. My heart sank a little. I kind of started to doubt myself, but my sisters had heard the knocking too, so I knew I wasn't alone in this. We tried to reason with him before he went back to bed, but he didn't believe us, too tired to really care about what we were saying. Dejected but scared, I ended up taking my mattress off my bed and sleeping in my sister's room for the night taking a baseball bat and laying it next to my mattress. My overactive imagination had me thinking that whoever was at the door was out to hurt us, and I knew I would have to defend my younger sisters against any danger that dared to enter our house. The next day passed just fine. 
My sisters and I knew that we had heard something, and our dad brushed off our attempts to explain it. He thought we were sleep-deprived, or perhaps that a large bug had hit our door, which was ridiculous. It wasn't until 11 p.m. that night, when my father was lounging on one of the couches in the living room, that we heard the pounding again. Only this time, it was much more aggressive, and directly on the door behind my father. My father let out a loud, What the? and charged towards the front door. I had been standing in the living room when the pounding occurred again, and my sisters had rushed to stand next to me after hearing my father shout. We were all shaken. Our father never yelled like that. I started to cry as my father went to rush outside and confront whoever was out there. I begged him not to go outside because I thought he might get hurt. He told my sisters and I to call the cops, and he cursed some more when he realized that whoever had knocked on the door was gone. My sisters called the cops, and they arrived fairly quickly, talking with my dad about what was going on, claiming that there had been other complaints about this happening nearby, and explaining that they would try their best to find out who was doing it. The police did a search around our house, but didn't find anyone, even searching the backyard where I was afraid the perpetrator might be. The police assured us that someone would patrol the neighborhood that night. Once the cops were gone, my dad apologized for not believing us the night before. We said it was okay and left it at that. He locked all the doors and stayed up later than my sisters and I. I couldn't calm down, so I slept in my sister's room that night as well. Eventually, though, I put this situation behind me. A few months had passed, but not without nightmares and sleep paralysis about the whole ordeal. Most nightmares ending with someone breaking in and hurting my sisters. Other nightmares ending in more brutal ways. I had thought nothing more of the whole thing. That is until one day, I came home from school and Ness ran up to me, buzzing with energy. She proceeded to tell me that, apparently, the cops had found out who was knocking on everyone's doors about a month or so ago. It was an older man who lived a few houses down from us. They had gotten him to stop, and I am not sure if he was given a warning or whatever. He was a little unstable mentally, and nobody had opened their doors for him. Ness then told me that the same guy had been arrested earlier this day. I was shocked. He had only been knocking on people's doors at odd hours of the night. I'm happy to say that he is in jail and no longer lives in that neighborhood. I haven't done any more looking into his crime other than trying to confirm it for myself the day he was arrested. I'm also happy to say that, after another recent event where someone tried to break into our house, my father installed a ring doorbell, the doorbell with a camera, which gave my sisters and I some comfort. I really hope this man gets what he deserves, or maybe that he gets the help that he needs, if he really is insane. So, this story is a bit unsettling and weird. The events of this night I didn't really consider scary until years later when I really reflected on what truly happened. I am 30 years old now, but was only 15 during the events of this story. The evening started fairly normal, a bunch of my friends and I just hanging out, thinking we were cool because we were at the state fair without any adults. It was a group of about 10 of us if I remember correctly. 
We decided to post up towards the back of the fairgrounds where all the rides were. We were just talking, telling jokes, and trying to impress the girls that would occasionally walk by. During our time hanging out in the back, we were approached by a very strange-looking person. He was an average height, a little thick in the belly, bald but was sporting some hair on the sides. He approached us with great confidence and said in a stern voice, You guys waiting for the ship as well? Thinking this was more comical than scary, we kind of just laughed and responded with, Uh, the ship? What are you talking about? The man smiled and flashed his chipped teeth and again, in his confident voice, said, Yeah, the ship from space. Are you guys here to board as well? Well, being kids, we just thought this was a joke. We laughed hysterically and just thought this guy had a lot to drink or something along those lines. After we had finished basically laughing in the guy's face, I finally responded to him saying, Where's the ship going? He responded confidently, The Andromeda Galaxy, of course. That was the last straw for us. We were just about hunched over in pain. We were laughing so hard. Well, the man finally realized we were laughing at him and changed his tune real quick. The confident voice suddenly became faint and the man said, Go ahead and laugh at me. When they come, you will see. We responded by basically saying whatever and stepped away from this crazy guy. At this point, he started to follow us and was now irate, chasing us, and was yelling about the aliens. Finally, after a few minutes of this and lots of stares from the people at the fair, I turned around and said in my blunt 15-year-old voice, Dude, leave us alone. We don't want any part of your ship or aliens. Still treating this as a joke, but more annoyed and creeped out than anything else, we just kept walking. The man finally yelled, Stop! We all turned and looked at the creepy UFO man, and he said almost in tears now, I've seen you in my dreams. You've been on the ship with me. They chose us. Officially creeped out, I pushed the guy away. He surprisingly went backwards quickly, like he weighed nothing. After that, he just started laughing. With all the commotion, we noticed many fairgoers forming a circle around us to make sure there wasn't an issue escalating. The crazy man started pacing around the circle of people that formed and started to ask everyone in almost a desperate voice now. Are any of you going up? They will be here soon. We need to get ready. This poor guy was met with tons of laughter. I started to feel bad for him. It seemed like this person was really suffering from some sort of crazed delusion. While the man was interrogating the other fairgoers, we used the opportunity to make our way to the main entrance. Honestly, we were just done with the guy and done with the night. It was starting to get concerning, and we really didn't want any trouble or to have something happen that would need our parents to get involved. Once we got to the main entrance, we took a shuttle back to the parking lot where my mom was picking me up along with three of my friends. We got to the lot and she was not there yet, so we just waited by the entrance to the lot until my mom got there. Right on cue, directly across from the lot, which is essentially a heavily wooded area, we saw the same guy, 
just standing there, staring at us. We did not say or do anything to provoke him this time. We just watched and waited anxiously for my mom. As we stood there, we noticed that the man just kept pointing up to the sky. He didn't look like he was saying anything, but we wouldn't have been able to hear him if he was anyway, because he was probably at least 100 yards away. In the distance, we finally saw my mom driving up in our green Windstar van. As we approached the doors of the van, we noticed the man was now somewhat rapidly approaching us. Not running, but walking briskly, I would say. We started to move fast, not really knowing if this guy was dangerous or not. And as I got into the passenger side, the man waved from the side of the road, and I just barely heard him say, I'll see you up there, as he smiled awkwardly at the van. It was not until years later when I was telling this story that I realized just how disturbing it really was. We had no idea if this guy could have caused us harm, if he was insane, or if by some crazy chance there was some truth to his delusion. I often used to wonder what happened to that guy. I never saw him again. I still attend the fair every year, and honestly, I always go back to that spot at the back of the grounds to see if the strange man would ever come back. Either way, it was a very strange and interesting story I really wanted to share. Just makes you wonder what goes on in other people's minds and what their true intentions are. I don't fly anymore. I used to, a lot, actually. It was a big part of my job to fly around the country to pitch investment prospects at meetings held for wealthy hedge fund managers. It was a cushy job. I mean, it paid far, far more than it was worth. But now I work from home, and I drive everywhere. I'm talking everywhere. I live in New York City, but my parents lived down in Florida since they retired. And yep, I drive down there to see them, three times a year sometimes. It's pretty bad, but I'd rather drive all that way and get stomach flu from bad roadside tacos than fly. And now I'll tell you why. It was a regular flight from LaGuardia down to Houston, another business trip to finance flirt with oil-rich investors down in Texas. I was sat in a window seat in business class. Takeoff was pretty normal. Everything was peachy, nothing I hadn't done a hundred times before as I thumbed through the in-flight magazine and browsed the drinks menu. I had to get up at like 5.30 in order to make the flight, and I have never been a morning person, so as soon as I was able, I shut the window flap next to me, closed my eyes, and tried to catch a few Z's so I would be as fresh as possible for the afternoon meeting. Then, just as I'm about to drift off, the loud pop noise... In my weary state, I actually thought it was some champagne bottle being opened by some celebratory suit who was opting for the fizz breakfast. I look around, and no one has a bottle. There's no attendant with an ice bucket. Nothing like that. Then, some horrible idea pops into my head, and in order to belay my seemingly irrational fears, I slide open to check on the plane's left-wing engine. I remember expecting it to be fine, Nothing had ever happened on a flight before, 
even though I had had those little flashes of fear previously. But it was not fine. The popping sound had been exactly what I had feared. There was smoke billowing from the engine, a thick stream of dark vapor that trailed along as we flew. I grabbed an attendant and silently pointed out the window, not wanting to raise too much of a panic. When she looked, she turned pale, then rushed up the aisle in the direction of the cockpit. Moments later, others were noticing what I had seen, cries of panic sounding from all along the plane as more and more people noticed the danger we were in. People were rushing over to the left side of the plane, looking out the windows and screaming. All while, the air hostesses aboard were trying everything they could to both keep calm, as well as keeping the passengers calm. Right before the terror reached a fever pitch, the pilot comes over the intercom. I think that was the weirdest, most surreal moment of my life. When people were losing their minds, but the captain was calm to the point of seeming bored. I suppose that's just the level of training they receive. The captain tells everyone to keep calm, to go back to their seats, and that the plane will be making an emergency landing at the nearest airport, which by that time was an airport in Virginia. We actually landed just fine, and the only remotely bad thing to really happen that day was that I had to rearrange the investment meeting. But I swear, part of me thought that plane was about to become a fireball as the engine exploded and we plummeted towards the earth at like 500 miles an hour. It was probably the most terrifying experience I have ever endured, and despite me trying to, I was never able to get on a plane ever again. So like I said, I drive everywhere now. And as much as it sucks, it's better than getting the cold sweats and panic attacks from sitting on a runway somewhere, just waiting for the engines to go up in flames. My mother's side of the family is fairly vast. She has three brothers and three sisters, all of whom are married and have several kids of their own. It goes without saying that when summer rolled around and it was time for the annual family vacation, there would be endless hours of fun and entertainment. My grandparents were fairly wealthy individuals, and with a share of their fortune each year, they would rent out a lake house, cabin, or beachside mansion for our family to resort at in its entirety. For the year in question, my grandparents decided to rent out a large four-story lakeside home. It was complete with a dock, game room, movie theater, vast kitchen, and even a tube slide system that went from floor to floor. What was supposed to be a blissful escape would soon become home to one of my worst memories to date. Before we delve any deeper into the story, I would like to do a quick explanation of the layout of the home because it's pertinent to the understanding of the rest of the story. The house was built upon a very steep slope that led down to a lake. The house was literally built horizontally off of the side of the hill so on the part of the home that wasn't connected to the hill, there were long stilts that connected to the base of the home, to the bottom of the hill. For additional support of the home, brick was added in between the stilts, creating a vast canaveral-like room underneath the home, only accessible by a cellar door at the bottom floor of the house. This pit, or room, had no insulation, 
dirt floors which in reality was just the bottom of the hill and filled with spiders and other small rodents and such. It was highly recommended by the homeowners who we were renting the property from that we do not venture down into this area because it would be a 10 or so foot drop to the floor and no ladder for assistance returning to the bottom floor of the home. So anyone that found themselves in this place would practically be imprisoned in a tall, dark cement hole. All right, back to the story. After all the pleasantries with my family and settling in for the first couple nights, all the more mature members of the family, which included me, my brother, and all my aunts, uncles, and their significant others, decided to play a game commonly known as Sardines. The game is basically inverse hide-and-seek, where there is one hider and the rest of the players are seekers. All the lights in the home are turned off, creating an atmosphere of complete darkness. The hider is given a minute to hide, and once they are settled, the seekers begin their hunt. If a seeker happens upon the hider, then they silently slip away and hide in the same place as the hider until all people are hidden and only one seeker remains. Now that you have a quick synopsis of the game, house, and large number of people playing, you can see how this could be the perfect concoction for a fun time. My uncle Mike was the one selected to do the hiding first. We shut out all the lights in the home, and after the given minute of hiding time, the hunt was on. My brother, aunts, uncles, and I searched the first couple floors to no avail. Searching under each table, in each closet, and behind each couch. After about 15 minutes of searching, and nobody seemed to have found him, an idea sprouted in my head. Though I dismissed the thought at first, I couldn't stop thinking about that cellar door and that space that lay beneath the home. Being that I was on the younger end of the family, around 17 years old, I wanted to impress them by being the first one to find him. So I silently crept away from the group and down the last two stories I had to go to get to the bottom floor of the house where the cellar doors were. When I got there, I found my body physically shaking with adrenaline. And after opening the door that closed off the little closet-sized room that held the cellar doors, I was trembling with fear. They just looked so ominous, and in the dark lighting, I walked up to them and placed a hand on each of the handles. Before I even opened the door, I was able to hear scuffling and maniacal giggling from the room. This assured me even more that I had found him, and my fear turned into excitement when I learned of his presence. I flung the doors open and looked down into the dark abyss of the hole. I quietly whispered down at my uncle, telling him that I had found him and that I was going to drop down and join him. He just kept laughing and laughing, which really unnerved me because it was unlike him to do that sort of thing without at least admitting he had been found or telling me to join him. Really wanting to be the first seeker to find him, I slowly began lowering myself down into the hole, hanging onto the ledge of the cellar door and letting my feet dangle into the hole. I could hear his laughter getting louder and heard his footing shifting as he began to walk closer to me. A horrid stench assaulted me the second that I lowered the rest of my body into the hole. I still clung to the cellar door, not allowing myself to drop the extra five feet or so. 
Being that I was closer to the ground now, I could start to begin to see his shape, and it looked off. I couldn't make out facial features, but seeing his slouched posture and lanky arms made me hold onto the ledge of the cellar door for a moment longer in hesitation. In that moment, I heard my aunt's voice calling for me, telling me they had all found my uncle and that I was the last to find him. My mind didn't piece the two together instantly, but when it did, saying that I could feel my heart sink to my stomach wouldn't be an exaggeration. The immense, overwhelming fear that I felt in that moment I have yet to feel ever again. Without a moment's hesitation, I pulled myself up out of the hole and instantly ran to my aunt, calling for help, screaming about the man underneath the house. She looked confused at first, but sprung into action when she too heard the laughing from the hole. She called my uncles down while she phoned the police and gave them my quick description of the man. But because we were in the middle of nowhere, it took them about 25 minutes to arrive. When they finally did, it was a flurry of red and blue lights. But what unnerved me the most was that a full SWAT team arrived as well. A dozen men poured into the home, which felt intense for what seemed like a mentally ill home invader. Within moments, they came out carrying a deranged-looking man in handcuffs. It wasn't until later on did I get the full details of the story. The man that they had arrested was indeed a mentally insane person with a warrant out for his arrest for the mutilation of his ex-wife. I also found later that the stench that was coming out of the room was his feces. It appeared he had been trapped down there for several days. He claimed he had gotten himself stuck down there when he had initially broken into the cellar to elude police capture. It has been around three years since this incident, and its memory has become less and less intense with each passing day. However, some nights I lie awake at night, thankful that I did not let go of that cellar's ledge. This happened a long time ago when I was about four or five years old, and I'm 15 now. Looking back at the situation, I really think I should have seen the red flags about this guy, but since I was really young and stupid, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary. I thought he was just a nice guy. The whole thing happened in a mall, in plain sight, in front of hundreds of people. I had gone with my mother shopping, a girl's day out kind of thing. At some point, I got lost. Typical, everyone has a story like that, right? So far, no red flags at all. I remember seeing a guy with a very southeastern accent. He was dressed like a junkie, but in my five-year-old mind, I thought he looked fine. So, since I was a lost five-year-old girl who didn't know any better, I walked up to him and asked him for directions, and if he had seen my mommy, etc. He ignored my questions and when he saw me, his eyes lit up. He immediately started showering me with compliments, some of them inappropriate to say to a five-year-old kid. He gave me a pink and black bracelet and told me how well it looked on me. Of course, I was oblivious to the situation and ignoring all the red flags. So, at some point, he offers to take me to his private jet and fly me to Jamaica to relax and play with the dolphins 
basically made it sound like a child's paradise. All I had to do was get in his car. Of course, since it sounded like a dream come true, I trusted him. I kid you not, at the exact moment I was about to leave the mall, some guy wearing a suit and tie stopped us dead in our tracks and asked him where he was going with a five-year-old girl. You could easily tell that we weren't related. The guy responded with his raspy southeastern accent and said that I was his daughter's kid and he was taking me home. We were clearly not related and so the guy in the suit asked me where my mom was. I told him she was still in the mall and from that point on there was some arguing between the two men. I didn't get the most of it but I ended up going with the man in the suit and the junkie cursed him out. We went to the lobby of the mall and found my mom there telling the worker behind the desk my description. She had clearly picked up by this point that I was gone. It turned out that the guy in the suit was a security guard at the mall and had picked up on how wrong the situation was. When my mom saw me with this guy, she picked me up and hugged me. This story is in fact very old, but I recently was reminded of it because a couple of my friends told me they were planning on going to Jamaica for vacation and the memories just came flooding back. So, security guard, who noticed how wrong the situation was, thank you. Thank you so much. After my freshman year of high school, I moved states. With my parents being split up, I moved with my mom, so once a month I would fly down to where I used to live and visit my dad. I would fly alone, seeing as I am 16. When I got to the airport, I went to my terminal, waiting to get onto my flight. I looked up from where I was sitting to see a man, staring at me. He wasn't shaggy or rough looking, he looked like a middle class older man. The man looked to be in his mid-forties. I didn't really think anything of it, because usually I space out the airport. When they called my number to board the plane, I looked back to see the man staring at me again, and this time, he grinned at me. I was very uncomfortable at this point, but since there was free seating on this airline, I figured I would just sit in the very back, hoping he wouldn't follow me. When I got to my seat, I looked out for the man, hoping he would take one of the front seats, because they were all open. Instead, I see him make his way to the back, and he sits right next to me. I was near the window, and the middle and aisle seat were both open, and you guessed it, he sat in the middle seat. At this point, I was really freaking out, because I did not get good vibes off this guy at all. He smiled at me, and I gave him a weak smile, and turned my head to the window, hoping he would not talk. Hey, my name is Jack. What's yours? I looked at him and panicked. Riley, I said. I gave him my real name. As it left my lips, it ventured into his. Riley, what a beautiful name. I just said thanks and continued to look out the window. What school do you go to, Riley? The way that he said my name made me scream on the inside. I wanted him far away from me. I said back, I don't see how that's important. He looked at me and put his hands up and apologized, chuckling. He then started talking to me about his job, 
He was a college football ref and asked me if I was a cheerleader, which I was wearing my cheerleading jacket, so I assumed he already knew. I just nodded, not wanting to engage in conversation anymore. Thankfully, this man came and sat in the aisle seat, and Jack stopped talking to me, however, constantly staring at me. I faced my head opposite to his and put my head down, pretending to be asleep. I did eventually fall asleep, and I was awakened to the plane landing. Relief spread throughout my entire body. You're such a cute sleeper. I wish you would have never woken up, he says with the most sinister grin. My eyes widened and my blood ran cold. I didn't say anything and just unbuckled my seat, giving him the impression I was trying to get off. When the aisle started to disperse out of the plane, he walked off and paused, looking back at me. I let four people pass me before stepping onto the aisle, and I saw rage in his eyes. He continued walking down the aisle with his head down. When I got to the front of the plane, I went to say thank you to the flight attendants and pilot like I always do. However, the flight attendant pulled me aside. She said, Hey, do you know that man that was sitting next to you? I shook my head, no. Her face went white. When you fell asleep, he was taking pictures of you and telling us how cute his daughter was when she was sleeping. I was very puzzled because your body language was off. I asked her to walk me down to baggage claim, and she agreed, since she had time to kill. When we walked out of the plane and into the airport, Jack was standing there, waiting for me. She told me to keep walking, and I did. I ran into my dad's arms when I finally saw him. The man saw this and went the opposite direction. I don't know what his intentions were, but I am glad I never found out. I also realized that my school's initials were on my jacket, which makes me very nervous. I work at a non-profit home that works with people experiencing mental health or substance use barriers. We have an in-home location for services and also offer a warm line for individuals to call. In my line of work, you experience beautiful life-changing moments, heart-wrenching traumas, overdoses, recovery stories, and everything in between. Needless to say, myself and many others in my field can attest that very little tends to surprise you. However, this story was one of those that completely took me off guard. A few years back, we had a gentleman with a very unique voice that would call almost every day with a private number. The subject matter of his calls seemed harmless at first, but slowly seemed to escalate. He started by talking about worries that he had at home but as his call frequency increased, so did his tendency to overshare. He began telling our female team members completely inappropriate things. He eventually told us that he enjoyed super gluing women to chairs to watch them struggle to get out of this seat. The first time I heard this, my face became simultaneously cold and hot. I could not believe what I had heard. I was in an angry state of shock and said that I had to end the call due to the apparent lack of words that had stricken me. Weeks went on, and we had heard very little from our secretive superglue aficionado. 
until it was a quiet day at the office and our mid-shift person had called in. Usually, we would try to find someone to replace this shift, but since we had no guests currently, we decided it best that I just hold the fort down on my own. I would soon find out what a mistake that was. I tried to keep myself busy, and while I was doing some paperwork and cleaning around the office space, I heard a knock at the front door. At this point, I was not expecting anyone, and potential guests are expected to call before coming to stay, or to see the location, as to best protect everyone's safety and confidentiality. I approached the frosted glass pane in the center of the door, and saw a large shape of a man eclipsing our equally large doorway. I cracked the door open, and sternly greeted the man and asked, What can I do for you? He stared at me in a way that wasn't completely predatory, but also did not feel safe. He remained silent for a few seconds before a very eerily familiar voice said, I need to talk. He pushed the door fully open and let himself in as I stared in a state of disbelief. He continued on from his earlier statement and chuckled out, So let's talk. As calmly as I could, I offered him a seat at the table in the dining room area and sat across from him. His eyes stayed locked on mine, and if I was not almost completely positive that this was our mystery caller, what he said next fully confirmed it. While remaining his cold eye contact, he said in a seemingly amused way, I have this problem. I don't know if it's a problem really, but I can't stop doing it and I don't really know what to do. You see, I like to glue women to chairs. I like knowing that I'm causing them discomfort and that they are stuck because of me. I like watching them struggle and it makes me feel better than anything else I've ever done. The feeling is completely euphoric. It was taking everything in me to not cry on the spot. This was causing every alarm signal in my body to scream at me to get out or get harmed. I slowly slid my hand towards the work phone while looking at every possible exit and finding a flaw in every potential escape route and hoping that he would not notice. As my pinky edged the case of the phone, I saw his dark eyes flick over to where my hand was. Am I making you uncomfortable? I assure you I'm not going to harm you. I just want to talk. Just talk. He teasingly said as I stammered out a falsely confident, I'm not uncomfortable. My boss will be here soon, so I was just trying to see if she had messaged the work phone. He continued staring ice-cold daggers into my eyes that caused me to sit up straighter in an attempt to mask the involuntary shiver that had taken over my body. Is that so? Well, I wouldn't want to keep you occupied any longer. As he stood up, my heart began to pound impossibly more. I had no idea if he was going to harm me, leave, or both. He began walking towards me, and as he towered over me, my heart was practically fully in my throat. At that point, he extended a hand out and said, Thanks for the chat. I quietly grabbed the tips of his fingers and choked out a, You're welcome. He smirked at me as he began walking to the door. As soon as he shut the door behind him, I locked the deadbolt and called my director. After the incident, I installed a panic button app on the phone 
and put chain locks on each entrance to allow us to open the door when needing, but to hopefully help us avoid people pushing the door fully open and finding ourselves uncomfortable and in potentially dangerous situations in the future. A week went by, and I was at the office with a fairly new mid-shift team member, and she received a call from a private number. I watched as her face dropped after answering the call. I took the phone from her and introduced myself. I heard that same, nauseatingly familiar voice say, Hello, I just want to talk. I can't stop asking women their bra sizes in public. I was done. I barked out. Sir, this is not that kind of warm line. The Addict Anonymous meetings are every Thursday, and I can give you their number. But the reason that we are here is because we have our own lived experience and traumas that do not need to be reactivated. Thank you for calling and have a good day. Months went by without seeing or hearing that voice, until I was waiting for some takeout in the waiting area of a restaurant, and once again heard that spine-chilling voice enter my ears. I looked up and met those same dark eyes that caused me and my team so much panic and distress just months prior. They were there in front of me yet again. He looked panicked and taken by surprise in contrast to his amused and cocky persona that he portrayed before. He swept up the food in a hurried rush and found his way to his vehicle and tried to speed off, but not before I managed to photograph his vehicle make and model. So if he ever decided to make an impromptu visit again, or drive by, we would have the information. I love my job, and I cannot stress enough that the taboo around mental health needs to be lessened. It's very unfortunate that someone was not even properly utilizing our services, and they had made such a lasting impression of myself and my other team members. I still become incredibly anxious every time I hear the doorbell ring, or a knock at the door, when I am alone at work. Be kind to those that are unwell and need compassion, but always be mindful of your own well-being and listen to your gut feelings, because some people with or without diagnosis or labels can be dangerous. Be safe out there.